What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt, back again with another episode. Going to get into a couple, I wouldn't call them controversial quarterbacks today, but quarterbacks that have definitely been discussed so far this week. And then I'm going to give you my top 12 college football rankings. Can't wait to get into it. It's a loaded show. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. that I didn't cover yesterday because I wanted to take just a little bit more time to really think about is Brock Purdy, right? And when it comes to Brock Purdy, and really everything, no matter the topic, everybody wants to be right, okay? When it comes to football, everybody especially wants to be right about quarterbacks, fans, GMs, doesn't matter. You want to be right about whether or not you think that the quarterback that your team is playing against or whatever is good. And what makes this really difficult is quarterback. It's the hardest position to evaluate in football. It's also the most important. Therefore, it's important for these GMs to figure this out. Who's going to be good? Who's not? Right? And there's a real sense of pride for even casual football fans that comes from correctly predicting the future of 22-year-old quarterbacks. Right, They come into the league, we immediately make our assumptions after like three games, which isn't nearly enough time, and then we ride with it for forever. Now enter in Brock Purdy, starting quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, who after 11 starts, finally lost a game. He is 10-1, and and there are fair questions around how good he is. Okay, If you're a quarterback, this is the downside of playing under Kyle Shanahan. There's a lot of upside because he makes your life easy. But if you are playing under Kyle Shanahan, you are not given the respect that you deserve. No matter how good you are, unless you have previously proven that you're a good quarterback somewhere else. Like if Aaron Rodgers had ended up in San Francisco, we wouldn't be questioning, well, like, is Aaron Rodgers really that good? Or does he just play for Kyle Shanahan? Does he just have Christian McCaffrey? Does he just have George Kittle, right? But since we haven't seen Brock Purdy anywhere else, and we've seen so little of him, and he's surrounded by just such a great just such a great support group, one of the best offensive minds in the NFL, multiple skill position players who are really good, a great left tackle in Trent Williams, and a fantastic defense. There's fair questions as to whether or not he's actually that good. But, but, he is 10-1. And on Sunday, speaking of that one, Purdy found himself on the road in bad weather, facing one of the best defenses in the NFL, with two of his best weapons hurt in Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey. And to put it very simply... He wasn't very good. He went 12 for 25 for 125 yards with a touchdown and an interception. First interception he's thrown this year. The 49ers lost their first game of the season and their first game with Brock Purdy as their starting quarterback, 19-17 to the Cleveland Browns. Now I get on Twitter, Instagram, I turn on the TV to watch various sporting channels and sports talk shows and listen to all the different podcasts that I listen to and All these Brock Purdy haters are coming out of the woodwork. They've been waiting for this game. And 
now there's this big debate as to whether or not Purdy is a good quarterback. And the more I listen to the debate, the more I listen to both sides, it reminds me of another quarterback that was debated like this. Do you remember Tim Tebow? Now, before you get upset, Brock Purdy, clearly a better quarterback than Tim Tebow. But I can remember being you know, a kid in the living room watching First Take on ESPN and hearing Skip Bayless scream at Stephen A. Smith across the table. And whoever would listen, all he does is win games. He wins games. What else matters? That's all he does. That was the argument for Tim Tebow. Right? Um, and then Stephen A. would respond, as only Stephen A. does, talking about how awful of a throw over the football Tim Tebow was. And he was really bad. Career, you know, 48% completion percentage. I think that says enough. But... He won a playoff game against the Steelers. And that was enough for a lot of people. And I think we're seeing the same thing happen today with Brock Purdy. He's won two playoff games before getting hurt against the Eagles in the NFC Championship game. And for some people, that's enough. And you know what else it does? It opens up the what-if door. What if he finishes that game and he doesn't get hurt? Maybe the 49ers win. Maybe they win the Super Bowl. Right? That's a real fair What if? Because that 49ers team last year was awesome. And then there's people on the other side of the argument. They're questioning his skill because, like I said, he looked really bad. Missed some easy throws. Throwing behind guys not on, like, simple slant routes, right? Um, On their final drive, first play, he threw the ball behind the receiver. Should have been picked. It wasn't. It was dropped. He got lucky. That's beside the point. There are people questioning the skill. You know, going to... You know, you've heard the argument. He's supported by the best offensive coach in the NFL, the best running back in the NFL. Debo Samuel's a fantastic football player. Brandon Ayuk is one of the best second option receivers in the NFL. George Kittle's a top three tight end. We can keep on going. That's the other side of the argument. And the question for them is can he be productive when he doesn't have all these top tier players around him? And on Sunday, we saw him play without McCaffrey and Debo Samuel, and he struggled. And so, so now, these people are parading around, acting like they're right about him. And my very simple question is, why do we have to make this judgment so quickly? We give rookie quarterbacks sometimes three years before we judge them. We gave Josh Allen three years, despite how awful he looked in his first two years in the NFL. And he was a first-round pick. He wasn't even Mr. Irrelevant like Brock Purdy. So shouldn't he have had a shorter leash? But no, we wanted to give him time. Because we knew he was young, we knew he was raw, we wanted to give him time to develop. There's a reason why Brock Purdy was selected in the seventh round with the last pick of the NFL draft. Because there are some deficiencies there, which is arm strength, and other things that you and I probably can't see. Right? And because of that, we need to give Purdy at least five more games before we can make a solid judgment as to who he is as a quarterback. We are so quick to judge these young quarterbacks. Brock Purdy is 23, 23, 24 years old. Played 11 games. He's 10-1. and That's pretty darn good. That's really, really good. People were salivating over Tim Tebow for going 8-6 and and winning a single playoff game. Brock Purdy, currently 10-1, and has won two playoff games. He's thrown less than 400 passes in the, in the NFL, and people are already on one side or the other of the aisle. And it's like, we got to wait. We've got to give it just a little bit of time. 
And I think that as we wait and as we watch the games, you can form your opinion. You can lean one way or the other. And I would say so far, he looks pretty good. I don't think we can knock him after one bad game against the same defense that Joe Burrow, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, struggled against. Went like 8 of 19 for 86 yards. That's worse than what Purdy did. Okay, this Browns defense is not only good, they are elite. They are allowing 200 yards per game on average, which is the lowest mark in five decades. 50 years. That's insane. They've stopped everybody. And not to mention, Brock Purdy put them in a position to win their game. Their kicker just missed a field goal. And guess what? Even after that horrendous game from Brock Purdy, he's completing 67% of his passes on the year. He's thrown almost, or correct correction, 67% of his passes for his career. He's thrown almost five times as many touchdowns as he has interceptions in his career. He's accurate. He makes good decisions. He anticipates throws. Right now, he looks like a good starting quarterback in the NFL. If you listen to the podcast yesterday, like he's above a lifeboat quarterback. He is a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's not one of these upper echelon guys like Mahomes or Allen or Burrow or whoever you want to put in that category, but so far, he looks like a solid starting quarterback. Let's be honest here. Is there really that big of a difference between Kirk Cousins and Brock Purdy so far? I would say that there isn't. Is there really that big of a difference between Dak Prescott and Brock Purdy? I would say that there isn't, and considering Brock Purdy's undefeated against Dak, just saying. Anyway, he's undoubtedly benefiting from Shanahan, though. Okay, like both sides can be right. Purdy's been good, but he's also benefiting from a lot of talent around him. And, you know, that's Shanahan. And at the same time, though, don't all of these good quarterbacks benefit from something? Mahomes benefits from Andy Reid, one of the best offensive minds ever in the history of the NFL. He benefits from Travis Kelsey, the best tight end in the league. Tua Tagovailoa benefits from Mike McDaniel and the talent around him. And we aren't questioning him. We're crowning him as the MVP. Jalen Hurts, he benefits from having Nick Sirianni, an awesome offensive line, A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. But no, last year, it wasn't like, oh, he's not that good. Look at everything around him. Right? Instead, it's been, oh, Jalen Hurts, man, he's he's made the leap. He's a really good quarterback. The point here isn't to bring those other guys down. The point is to say good quarterbacks have talent around them. It's a fact of the NFL, okay? If you took any quarterback and you put them on the Bears, their numbers wouldn't be very good because the Bears support around Justin Fields and whoever's playing quarterback, you know, he's got the, the dislocated thumb right now, it's not very good. Therefore, that quarterback isn't going to be very good. Jeez. So I just I don't think that we can knock Brock Purdy for being drafted by the 49ers. Like that's not his fault. It's not. But from everything we've seen, he's thrown the ball on time and on target, and they've won ten of their eleven games. That's really good. Two of them being in the playoffs. And honestly, the fact that Kyle Shanahan drafted him should be something we consider. That should be like a notch on his belt, because Kyle Shanahan knows offense as well as, if not better than anybody. And he chose him. Even though it was really late in the draft and he passed on him in the first six rounds, he still picked him at some point, right? Either way, no matter which way you're leaning, it's it's just a little too early before we crown him as 
you know, a force to be reckoned with within the quarterback community, or if he's just like an average starter, or if you think he's a backup, or whatever. Right? It's too early to do that. Five more games, and we should be able to form a proper opinion on Brock Purdy. Until then, just relax, take some notes, and just see what he looks like week in and week out. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt, getting into another quarterback under a little bit of scrutiny. I have a request. Can we please stop this false Justin Herbert narrative? Monday night, Monday night football, Justin Herbert threw an interception to Stephon Gilmore to, to, to end the game, right? He had an opportunity to lead his team down the field and for the Chargers to win. He threw a pick. And then I got on Twitter, because that's what you do at the end of Monday Night Football games. You know, you want to see the reaction to everything. And I saw all of these Justin Herbert isn't clutch type of claims, and it's simply ridiculous. It's just, it's simply ridiculous. I just, I I can't, I can't. It's so frustrating, because it simply isn't true. And things that are true include things like Herbert is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL. You can't deny it. He's physically gifted beyond a lot of other NFL quarterbacks. He can make every throw, and unless the general manager has Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Joe Burrow, they would at least consider trading whoever their quarterback is for Justin Herbert. He's an elite talent that hasn't won as much as he should have. But if you've seen the Chargers play at all under Brandon Staley, then you know why they haven't won as much as they should have over the past four years. Coaching matters in the NFL more than any other professional sport. Most of these losses are not on Herbert. They're on Brandon Staley. Okay? And when it comes to the clutch gene with Justin Herbert, like I just I wanna have we how have we come to this conclusion that the player who is third in the league in game-winning drives since 2020 isn't clutch. How did we come to that conclusion? Yes, you heard me correctly. Justin Herberts, who apparently isn't clutch, is the is third in the league since 2020 in game-winning drives. It's like, oh, well, well, Jonathan, he's had a lot of opportunities to put together game-winning drives. That's why he has so many, because the Chargers are so bad. Coming into the season, Herberts has had 30 chances to put together a game-winning drive. He's converted on 13 of them. That is 43% of the time he wins the game. That sounds like a low number, but only eight quarterbacks are above the 50% mark. Some of those names are Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Patrick Mahomes, and John Elway. Yeah, those are all first ballot Hall of Famers, except for Mahomes, who obviously will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. His game-winning drive percentage is higher than Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Dan Marino, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Troy Aikman, Philip Philip Rivers, and more. Those are all really good quarterbacks who Justin Herbert has a higher percentage of converting on game-winning drives than they do. Herbert has done this with a defensive head coach and three different offensive coordinators over the course of four years. It is hard to be consistent when everything around you is changing, and Herbert has. He's been good every year he's been in the league. In addition to the game-winning drives, he's led 11 fourth-quarter comebacks. 
He's been good late in games, and the narrative that he isn't clutch is simply lazy in an overreaction to a bad throw he made on a Monday night football game. Okay, it is not on Justin Herbert. Okay, now, things aren't perfect for the Chargers. They need a new head coach. They've had a lot of turnover at the offensive coordinator spot. They need a reliable head coach that offers some stability. Anthony Lynn and Brandon Staley aren't going to cut it. They're not. When you have a really nice car in the garage, you're not going to, you know, call a 16-year-old to come in and drive it. You're going to call in some again an experienced driver who knows what he's doing so that way you know that the car will be taken care of and that all the right buttons will be pushed. Because when you push all the right buttons, you know, in a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or whatever, then you really get to see what the car can do. But if you put a 16-year-old behind the wheel, then it's limited. Because a 16-year-old just isn't as experienced. They don't know what they're doing. They could be really talented, right? And they can know a lot about cars. But if they haven't driven one, then they don't know. And when you have a really nice car, you don't put an inexperienced driver behind the wheel. Okay, Justin Herbert. Rolling with the analogy here. One of the nicest cars in the league. One of the nicest cars in the league. The Chargers made a mistake. They should have fired Brandon Staley last year and hired Sean Payton. I'm sure Sean Payton would have appreciated that, considering how the Broncos look right now. Um, but yeah, like they, they've got these inexperienced guys leading the way. And they're messing things up. They're messing things up. Chargers, please, fire Staley. Go hire Anybody with a decent amount of experience. Okay? Herbert checks every single box. He made the playoffs last year in a loaded AFC conference with Brandon Staley as his head coach. Okay? The Chargers are sitting at 2-3. and three. Things clearly need to change. And the things that need to change do not involve Justin Herbert. They are all about coaching. Staley needs to be gone sooner rather than later. And if he isn't, then that is a terrible mistake that the L.A. Chargers are making. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. We're going to wrap up the pod. Giving you my college football top 12. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We're back with more Shooting the Schmidt. Going to wrap it up here. Going to give you my college football top 12. And you already know who's at number one. It's the Georgia Bulldogs. As I've said every single time I've done this, I'm not moving Georgia. They're staying at one until they lose. Well, Jonathan, they haven't looked great. Brock Bowers, he's hurt. Come on, you you, you got to move him at some point. No, I don't. Not not going to. And here is why. Georgia plays to the level of their competition. I don't like it. Georgia fans, you probably don't like it either. But they win those games, and when they're up, they throttle people. They were up for that Kentucky game, and they ran them out of the building. Okay, they're the best team in the country. Simple as that. And if you're going to question Georgia and their schedule and everything, then we have to question Michigan, who I have it too, who people have no problem putting it to despite their light schedule like Georgia. Michigan, same thing. Look, they've blown everybody out. They look good. They're going to play Ohio State and Penn State, and then we'll figure out how good they really are. Georgia sets play all Miss this year, probably going to play Alabama in the SEC championship game. We'll have a pretty decent idea of how good they are. Then, at number three, I have Washington. Jonathan, you went on a big rant yesterday about Washington. Yeah, but they have, dare I say, the most impressive win in the country. If not, it's definitely top three. Okay, they beat a really good Oregon team at home. 
they did what they needed to do to win. The offense is explosive. Michael Penix, you know, leading Heisman candidate, Washington. That's a really, really good football team. Number four, I have Florida State. Look, the the win over LSU, as dominant as they were, is still impressive. Beating Clemson on the road is impressive. Okay, Florida State, they're a good team. I've got them sitting at number four. Just outside, I've got Oklahoma at five. You know, they have either the best or second best win in the country, depending on how you value that Washington win over Oregon by beating Texas. Neutral site, that game was great. You know, Brent Venables got his defense going this year. They're a lot of fun. Dylan Gabriel making plays on the move. Oklahoma, really, really good football team. Then I have Ohio State, who, you know, they play Penn State this week. We're going to figure out how good both of these teams are. I have them at six and seven back-to-back here. Um, you know, Ohio State has obviously played, obviously played like Notre Dame, but outside of that, no super tough opponents, but we know that they're talented. That defense, probably the best it's been under Ryan Day. Uh, they'll be put to the test this week, though, when they take on Penn State, who I have at seven. You know, they've won every game they've played. We know that they're talented. We're just going to figure out how good they are this week. Really excited for Saturday. That game is on at noon. Cannot wait until it happens. Number eight, I have Oregon. Look, this is still one of the best 12 teams in the country. Not moving off of that. Uh, Really decent chance that they went out and they end up in the top four. Wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if that happens. Number nine, I have Texas. Right, Despite the loss to... uh, um, despite the loss to Oklahoma, the Alabama win on the road in Tuscaloosa, still really impressive. And as much as you know, people don't like Alabama this year, and as much as we, people are questioning how good they are, I think part of this is expectations. Okay, when whenever I go watch a movie, there's a movie I know I'm going to watch. I don't watch the trailers or anything like that because when you watch trailers, you get your hopes up. Right, And then you have these really high expectations. And then whether or not you like the movie, and if you think that it was good or not, it is directly impacted by what your expectations are. What's our expectation for Alabama every single year? Top four team competing for a national championship. They don't look like that this year. But they're 6-1 and one in the SEC. That's impressive. Okay, That's a good football team. Texas went on the road and they beat them. Simple as that. Uh, next at number 10, I've got North Carolina, who looked awesome on Saturday. Like, oh my word, they looked so good. Drake May, uh, he continues, you know, to be the second best quarterback in the country behind Caleb Williams. Uh, Devontae Walker, geez, what an absolute monster. Okay, you can see why North Carolina was upset that the NCAA wouldn't let him play. He was finally cleared. He's really, really good. No other way to really put it. Uh, Had three receiving touchdowns in the win over Miami. North Carolina sitting at number 10. Number 11, I have Alabama. Look, it's not flashy like it was with Bryce Young and Mac Jones and Tua. And even Jalen Hurts there for a little while. It's a... This is old school Alabama. We're going to run the football. We're going to hold on to it. We're only going to ask our quarterback to make plays when we absolutely have to. And we're going to play good defense. Good luck beating us. We've lost once. That was really early in the year. They made their they made the adjustments that they needed to make. And now they're one of the 12 best teams in the country. Right behind them, number 12, I've got Ole Miss. Um, that's, a, that's another really good team who scores a lot of points. Uh, if you put Oregon State here, wouldn't be upset at that either. 
uh, Ole Miss, Oregon State, whoever you want to put here in this 12 spot, um, is totally fine with me. So I was going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Um, before I go, one last thing. Ole Miss, I believe they play Georgia this year. Uh, let me double-check that here really, really quickly. Um, but if they do, they're going to have a real chance to make a run to make the college football playoff, to be a top-four-ranked team. Jonathan, Ole Miss? Yes, Ole Miss. And they do play Georgia. Jeez, Georgia got a, some tough games coming up here. They they play Florida at home. They should win that one. Then Georgia plays Missouri, who's ranked. Ole Miss, who's ranked. And they play Tennessee, who's also ranked. So, you know, Georgia, the tougher part of their schedule is quickly coming up. But back to Ole Miss, right? So Ole Miss, they had the one loss to Alabama. They beat LSU. Uh, their last tough game is Georgia. Okay, like they should beat Auburn and Vanderbilt and Texas A&M and UL Monroe and Mississippi State. The question is Georgia, right? Look, if they win that game, then they end the season 11 and 1 with a lone loss coming to Alabama, and then they'd probably play Georgia again in the SEC Championship game. If they beat Georgia twice, it's going to be hard to keep Ole Miss out of the college football playoff. Watch out, Ole Miss could sneak in as the number 4 seed. If if they went out. So watch them. Watch Oregon one-loss teams who can make a run and still make the playoff. That will do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to the podcast. I'll be back again tomorrow with another show for y'all. Tomorrow, tomorrow or Friday, hopefully both. Um, just kind of depends on what my day looks like. So look out for one or two podcasts over the next two days, and I will talk to y'all then.